to say that music is my favorite of all of the little sermon videos we've done so far. I just like want to groove a little bit to it, but I don't because I'm standing up here in front of everyone. I don't have any dance skills, but we are so glad <laughs> you guys are here today. And as we've said a couple times already, um, we are in this new series about knowing God as Father. We call it part of the family because that's really his heart as God the Father is that we become part of his family. That was his original intention, was for us to be his family. And then humans went off and did their own thing with their own crazy ideas. And so he came up with this plan. He had this plan to bring us back into his family. And so we're going to explore that throughout this series. We're going to explore what that means and what that looks like. And probably one of the most powerful examples of that in the Bible, um, Kevin Kuckelman talked about last week with the prodigal son and had the picture up here, the painting by Rembrandt of that and being able to just really dive into what that meant and all the little nuances that were part of the prodigal son returning to the father. So definitely um, check out that passage of scripture about the prodigal son. All you have to do is Google prodigal son if you don't know exactly where it's at because it'll definitely pop up. One of the most famous stories in the Bible. But we are going to be talking about God as father and I want to start off by recognizing that this is going to be a really hard topic for a lot of us. Sometimes it feels like I was preparing for the series, and part of it to me felt like this is going to be an easy message series to preach because God as Father, He's a good Father. So it's like all good stuff, and it's how He thinks so well of us and how much He loves us. And it's like, oh my goodness, this is going to be the fluffiest sermon series I've preached yet. But we all have some level of father wounds. Wounds caused by our fathers or lack of father or father figure or having someone who's a father who was not the original father, who is not the birth father, right? We're raising a son who is going to and has some pretty severe father wounds, and we're raising a little baby who doesn't have any yet, hopefully, but is going to have some, you know, is going to have pain put upon her by her parents, whether we want to or not. Our best intentions, anyone who's ever raised children knows that your best intentions only get you so far, right? There's the rest of our humanity that bulldozes over those best intentions a lot of times. And so knowing that this is going to be a hard topic, I want us all to just really try to prepare our hearts because this is a very important part of who God is. He has chosen to identify himself. One of the primary ways he's chosen to identify himself is as a father. And so it's worth us trying to work through the father wounds we have received, asking ourselves, why is it so hard for me to relate to him this way? And I'll tell you, I had a great dad. I had a great dad growing up, right? I still could not relate to God as God the Father for a very long time. And it doesn't have to be rushed into it. It's not like, okay, by the end of these four, next four weeks on this or next three weeks on this, we want you to be able to, God the Father is your go-to in prayer. That's not really what I'm saying. But I want us to start to try to examine our hearts and be like, why is it hard for me to think of him as father? Why is it hard? When the Bible says we now call him Abba, Father, which means daddy. If I were to call God daddy, would that rub me the wrong way? Does that feel weird? 
to think of him in the most intimate way you could call a parent, right? So I want us to think about that. So I want to start us off with prayer today. God, thank you so much for who you are. And thank you that you are the good father, but you know that our parents have fallen short. Our parents have fallen so short in so many ways. We as parents have fallen short. And it taints our view of you as father. It taints our ability to relate to you as a father. And so today we offer up our broken hearts and all of the ways that they've been hurt and scarred and are trying to recover. We offer them to you and ask you, God the Father, as the good father, would you please heal our hearts? Just like that song said, my heart needs a surgeon. But you are the good father who can make all things new and right. We love you, Jesus, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so God's original intention, God's original intention, chapter 1 and 2 of the Bible, is that we are his children, part of his family. Number one intention from the beginning of time, his intention was that we were part of his family. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. He had just gotten through making everything else the five days prior. And then we're at day six in all of time, like day six. Not just day six in the week, day six in all of time. And he says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. We're going to point out a couple things. So it says us and beings in our image. So the first thing we notice is God's referring to himself in the plural. Does this mean God has multiple personality disorder and he's talking amongst his multiple personalities? No. <laughs> but God himself, we believe in him as what we call a triune being. That's the theological term or a trinity. Which means he's three persons in one. It's hard to understand. The best analogy I have for you is think of an egg. There's a shell, a white, and a yolk. It's still all the egg, but it's three different parts. Again, that analogy really breaks down, but that's the best way I can describe it to you right now. So God is three in one. He's three persons in one. And so he and God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son are all present at creation. And he says, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. So we're not just like either Jesus or the Holy Spirit or God the Father. We are to be made in the image of all. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It says three times. He created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He created them. So the Trinity is present. It's in their image. They're in community. So little plug for small groups here. We were made to be in the image of a God that was in perfect community with others. Right? He didn't make us because he was lonely. He had God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Make them in our image. So part of us is that we are designed to be in relationship and in community with others. That is part of how we're designed. So we have to plug that. We have to make sure that we find that. Now, did we end up getting pictures? Okay, so I got some pictures coming here. I think. <laughs> we got some, okay. So this is Kyle and Moxie. 
So you know how everyone's like, okay, we think Moxie looks more like Kyle, or we think Moxie looks more like Anna. No one thinks Moxie looks more like me. Everyone thinks Moxie looks more. Or no, you're just the perfect mix of both. Like, thank you for saying that. I know you don't really think that, but that's okay. So we always like to compare these side by side, right? So Kyle and I, we created a human in our own image, right? She looks like Kyle at her age, right? What's the next one? All right, there's me and Moxie. There's me and Moxie there, okay? So now you're like, okay, maybe she looks a little bit like Anna, but just because she like sits with her legs up like she's, you know, tough girl or something like that, I don't know what's going on. But so we created this baby in our own image. Is there another one? I don't know how many we got. Okay, those are the two. So we created a human in our likeness, in our image, right? But it goes even more than that. It goes even beyond that with God. It's not so much about we physically, like God must look like a human. No, no, no. We are to be his image bearers, meaning we present God's characteristics. We have different types of God's characteristics. So I used to be a very, very, very emotional person. I'm not as much anymore. I should probably work on that, get back in touch with my emotions. But I was such an emotional person, especially, of course, through adolescence, very emotional. College, very emotional. And I was so frustrated at myself that I would cry at the literal drop of a pin. It was crazy. I would just cry. And I was so upset about it until I realized God has emotions. And that is part of me bearing a character of God. Jesus wept when his friend died, right? Jesus cried over Jerusalem. And so me being emotional, I came to realize that's just a part of how I reflect God's image in my life. So we all have these different things. Maybe you're very creative. That reflects the characteristic of God as creator. Maybe you are a very comforting person. That reflects you as, that reflects God as the Holy Spirit who is our comforter. There are different characteristics we have that relate. Now, you, I don't think he put in the pictures with, um, with me and my mom and Moxie smiling really cheesy. So I felt like Moxie didn't look anything like me except for the blue eyes until I saw her cheesy smile like and then I remember all of the pictures of me <laughs> as a kid like this. And the best picture I have of Moxie doing it is to taco meat. And so I'm a very proud mom because tacos are the best. And she had, oh, we have this picture of her with a spoon with taco meat. And she's like this. And I'm like, oh, that's how I used to smile. So for the one thing she actually looks like me, no, it's not that her face changed. I mean, that does change her face a little bit. But it's a characteristic, right, or a personality characteristic maybe to be cheesy <laughs> that she got from me. And we see this in our children. You see it when you're watching parents and children. You see it in maybe the things that you've picked up from your parents. I know personality-wise I'm a lot like my dad. Or I will be talking to Zay and I'll be like, oh, my goodness, I sounded just like my mom. Why am I saying this? You know, we pick up 
these characteristics where it's not just that we look like our parent, but it's that we start to pick up these mannerisms and we all try to pick up the good ones and not the bad ones, right? We all try to pick up the good ones, not the bad ones, but we start to display the likeness of our parents. And that is how God created us, that we would display the likeness and the character and the image of who he is. Then if you go to the next chapter in Genesis, so one and two are beautiful. It's how everything was originally intended to be. And then just the third chapter in, guys, we did not make it far. Just the third chapter in, enter sin. So all of a sudden we have sin and death and brokenness and the curse. And all of a sudden they have to kill animals for the first time to give them clothes because all of a sudden they realize they were naked and that's shameful when they were naked before and it was totally fine. All of a sudden, all of this brokenness and disaster and chaos comes into the world, only three chapters in. So let's read in John 3, verses 1 through 8. This is when Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. We don't hear about this type of Pharisee very often. Most of the time, he is calling the Pharisees snakes. He's like, you're a bunch of snakes. You are hypocrites. Uh, You are horrible. Like He's like, you are creating a corrupt religious system, and I am not about it. But then we have some of these Pharisees who genuinely wanted to know God and his word and wanted to interpret it well. And so we have Nicodemus come to Jesus to talk with him. He did it in the dark because he was scared of the other Pharisees, right? But he was trying. He was trying to get out and seek. So starting in verse 1, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus, rabbi, which means teacher, he said. We all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Can you just imagine this conversation? He was like, seriously, what in the world are you talking about? And we hear this phrase, born again Christian, all the time, so we don't even think about it, but it sounds bizarre. It sounds completely bizarre. So let's get in Nicodemus's perspective. What do you mean? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. So he's referencing two different types of baptism, baptism in water and baptism in the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. So Jesus just said you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit, and here I am trying to explain how people are born of the Spirit. So if I don't make sense, it's because Jesus said it wouldn't make sense, so I'll blame him on that one. Okay, I'll blame that one on him. But we are to be, my message title today is born of God. So we're talking about being part of the family with God as Father. We need to be born of God. So born of God's Spirit. That's being made new in him. And we get this picture through baptism. Baptism, we had it uh, about a month or so ago. We're going to have another one, July 24th. If baptism is something that you're interested in, there's a sign-up sheet on the hub, which is the blue table right to the right. As you leave, you can sign up for baptism, and we'll get you more information on that as we get closer to the time. But baptism is a symbol of being born again, born of God. 
So we were born in the natural by our biological mother. And then Jesus is saying we have to be born again of God. And water baptism is a picture of that. It's a symbol where we go public with our faith that we have chosen to be born again, to be made new, to become part of the family of God. And so when we're born of God, we become his child. We were meant to be God's children all along, right? Then sin came into the world, and we're not his children until we choose to be born of God and become his children. When we are born again, we're made new. Baptism is the symbol of us becoming his spiritual sons and daughters. So here's the next passage, and we're going to camp out at this passage for the rest of the message today. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. It doesn't really mean anything, but it's just interesting to note that this is Matthew 3, 16. John 3, 16 is Jesus came to save us. You know that one, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Basically making us new and saving us. And then here we are in Matthew 3, 16, and it's the baptism of Jesus. So Jesus was already God. He still got baptized. Why did he do that? He wanted to set an example. He wanted to set an example to the rest of us that this is what we are required to do. Matthew 3, 16 through 17, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. A couple things to notice here. We already talked about how Jesus is getting baptized even though he's God. He doesn't need to be born of God. He already was born of God. Okay? So he's still doing it anyway as obedience to what God wants us to do in going public with our faith. Then we have Jesus is there getting baptized. The Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, descended as a dove. And then God the Father spoke. All three of the persons of God are here again, just like they were in the very beginning of creation. All three of them are here again. And we have them together again. So the Trinity is present again. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now baptism, we've talked about, is a public expression of salvation. But when you have given your life to God, you become three things. So these are going to be your fill in the blanks, okay? Point one today. When you have given your life to God, you are his. Number one is you are his. Life isn't about finding yourself. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. And it definitely happens in like the high school to 20-ish. And then it happens again at like midlife crisis time and all this. But it's like, I just need to find myself. Like, first of all, what does that even mean? Because I didn't believe in this at a very young age, I never really had this line of thinking. But I don't know what that means. Like, what does it mean to find yourself? Like, you are here. I know it means find your purpose, find like what you're supposed to be doing. All that, But it's not about finding out who we are. That is not what life is about. It's not about just trying everything and going for everything and exploring everything and trying it all. And then maybe we'll find what seems to stick. Maybe we'll find what fits right. Or maybe it's not going and trying, trying, trying. But maybe it's sitting on the couch, binging Netflix constantly. Are you still here? Play next. Play next. When it says, are you still here, it might be a clue that you should shut it down. Because that normally doesn't happen until like five episodes in, which is like five hours in, which is like get outside for some sunshine, right? So we need to 
think about what does it really mean to find ourselves. It's not about just sitting here until we all of a sudden have an epiphany that this is my purpose and this is what I need to be doing. And I'm going to quit everything else because it's not exactly my purpose and my passion. That's not what it means. It is not about finding ourselves, finding what we like most or what gets us fired up most. What it is about is finding whose you are. Life is about finding out whose you are, who you belong to. Whose you are, not about who you are. So that we can begin to develop this belief that we are who he says we are. We are not what I feel like fits right. We are not the sum of my experiences and my pain and the things that I've gone through. We are not about what my broken parents have told me I am. We are not about what teachers have said I am. We are not about what coworkers or bosses or employees or anything else or the people talking behind our backs say we are. We are who he says we are because we are his. Matthew 3.17 says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son. So the first thing God says when Jesus gets baptized, his voice comes booming and the Holy Spirit's descending. You are my son. Now, did Jesus need to know that? He already knew that. But it was publicly God claiming him. You belong to me. You are mine. I'll put my name on you. I'll stamp it on. It's a big deal. Did anyone ever grow up, or maybe you said this to your own kids with, well, that's not what Saddlers do. This is a Saddler thing. Or whatever your last name is, fill in the blank, right? That's just, Saddlers don't do that. Or that's the Saddler thing to do. Or whatever. You don't stamp your name behind just anything. You don't claim, oh, we'll do it with Zay. Well, he's your son, you know? If it's something I don't want stamped to me, right? Or, oh my goodness, he's my son when it's something I do want stamped to me. And God's coming out and saying, this is my son. I mean, can you imagine being there? The sky opened up and a voice came from the sky. I mean, just imagine it for a minute. Take yourself out of, oh, I've heard the Sunday school stories a million times. They know this is God. There is no other explanation saying this, this is my son. And he takes ownership and he owns him. Now, there's kind of a sub-message that's in here, and this is how we should treat our children, treat our employees, treat our um, leaders that we work with, our teams that we work with, is these three points that we're about to go into, of who we are as God's children, are also ways that we can affirm our children or those that we have under our influence and our stewardship and responsibility. So number one, you are his. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, God paid a high price for you. I know we don't like the idea of being owned, but God owns us. (laughs) He paid a high price. We opted in to be born again. So don't be enslaved to the world. Notice he didn't say God paid a high price for you so you are enslaved. So so don't be enslaved to the world. He's taking us free from all these labels the world wants to slap on us. The world wants to say you're too young, you're too old, you're too broken, you're too sick. You're all of these things that you're not enough. The world wants to say that. But he said, I bought you with a very high price, so don't let the world enslave you anymore. Don't let the world enslave you. Be who I say that you are. 
1 John 3, 1 says, See how very much our Father loves us. For he called us his children. He's claiming us as his. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. So when we become God's child, the journey doesn't stop. It's continuing to increase our belief that we know him, that it's stronger. Our belief in him is stronger, that we can know him truly as who he is. And we're never going to be done with it on this side of heaven. I heard someone this last week um, was in a workshop at a conference I was at, and he said, you know what I think everyone is going to say their first word when they get into heaven. They're going to get into heaven, and it's going to be pearly streets and all the angels and blah, 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 all these things. We're just going to get to him and go, oh, like, oh, it all makes sense now. All of a sudden, light bulb, I get it all. All the questions, all the shortcomings in our own reasoning, just, oh, okay, now it makes sense. I got it. I see the big picture. But in the meantime, we get to keep increasing our own faith, keep strengthening our own belief in who God is. So my question to you guys today is who do you belong to? How do you define yourself? I think that is a really easy way, not easy, but that's a simple way to try and figure out who you belong to. What, what does your head tell you about yourself in your own mind? What are the things you say to yourself? Constantly say you're stupid. Do you constantly apologize? Do you constantly cut yourself down or say you're not enough? Do you hear yourself saying things that your parents said to you in anger? Do you hear yourself saying things that the rest of the world has put on you, the voices around us? Whose do you belong to? Do you belong to them? Or do you constantly say to yourself who God says that you are, that you are loved, that you are chosen? There's a song, I think we sang it last week. I am loved, I am called, I am healed, I am whole, I am saved. It's just these I am statements that God gives us for ourselves. How do we define ourselves? How do we identify ourselves? Maybe our main identity is in our job or in our role as a parent or in our role as I'm the best friend to everyone. And so that job or that person or that role owns us. Instead of simply my highest calling and identity is I am a child of God. I am his. In this statement, this is my son, we start to see our first two values at this church, to know God and to find freedom. Because when we have belonging in knowing who God is, we are set free to be who he originally created us to be. We are no longer bound to the opinions of others, the words and the curses spoken over us, the habits that try to hold us back. We are no longer identified by those. We are now identified as a child of God. And so we're set free. So the more we know God the Father, the more we're set free into who he originally created us to be. So number one, you are his. Number two today is you are loved. You are loved. Matthew 3, 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. Or the first version we read said, this is my dearly loved son. This is my son whom I love. My question on this one for all of us to really challenge ourselves is how much do you believe on a scale of one to 10? 
how much do you believe that you are loved by God the Father? If 10 is, I believe it so much, I walk in this truth by my actions and my words daily. One is, I don't even think about God as Father. I don't like that. I don't really identify with God at all. I don't have a relationship with God. What is your belief? Does your belief impact your life up in the higher numbers or a 10? Are you somewhere in the middle and you want to increase that belief on the scale? How much do you believe on a scale of 1 to 10 that you are loved by God the Father? And here we're seeing find freedom, go into discovering purpose. Because he loves us so much. I say this all the time and I think about this all the time. I've had people ask why we're so like excited on Sunday mornings because it doesn't make sense because it's a work day for us. Right? And it is stressful, especially at the beginning of the day before prayer. That's when it's stressful. After prayer, it turns around. But why do we love Sundays? Why are Sundays our favorite day? <laughs> because God loves me so much. He lets me partner with him on his mission to bring his kingdom to this earth. I don't, I, my prayer is that you all are as shook by that truth as I am. He loves you so much. He doesn't need you for anything. He was doing fine before he created this world, and then we messed up perfect creation. He doesn't need us. He wants us. And he loves us so much. He calls us to partner with him in bringing his kingdom and heaven to reality on this earth. That's love. That's huge love. John 3.16, of course, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sent his son. If you had one child, and that was it. And all of a sudden, you felt like, I really need to do something about the orphan crisis in this country and this world. But in order to save all of the orphans, you had to sacrifice to death your one child. Would you do it? Because that's what God did for us. That kind of love is what he did for us. He loves us so dearly, so richly, so sacrificially that he sets us free and free into our purpose. He doesn't set us free for the sake of being free. He sets us free for the sake of stepping into our purpose and our true calling and our true identity. So number two today is that you are loved. And then number three you are his joy. You are his joy. Many of you, if you have ever had a child or cared very deeply about a child, maybe it's niece or nephew, godchildren, you know that sometimes loving the kid is hard. It is excruciating. The love hurts. But then you know the other times where they are your pride and joy. Right? Matthew 3, 17. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Another version says, in whom I am well pleased. He's saying, this is my son. I love him so much. And he's my pride and joy. It's the same thing that we can say to those that we influence and steward in our own lives. You're mine. <laughs> you belong to me. We belong together. You have a place. I love you no matter what. I'd do anything for you. 
and I am so proud of you. I am so proud of you. Do we have a picture, another picture? This is my baby. She is my born of me baby. And we'll save the rest of it for the next week when we talk about how God chooses us too, even when we aren't born of him. But she's my born of me baby. And look at her face, guys. I have a ridiculous smile on my face because she brings me so much joy. I kind of wish I named her Joy. <laughs> she is my joy. We had our neighbor told us, we don't even know them very well, but they've watched her for us when we've had some crisis moments and they always stop us when we're getting out of the car to see if they can see the baby. And she was praying one day, they go to another church in town and she was praying one day, she came over and knocked on our door out of nowhere and said, hey, this doesn't normally happen to me, so I'm pretty sure it's God, but I was praying for you guys and your family. And God says that he sees what you're doing and how hard it is and what you're going through. And that's part of why he gave you this baby that smiles all the time. It's God smiling. It's you are his joy. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. We are his joy. She is my joy, because look at that. And that's what God sees when he looks at you. My ridiculous face is God's face when he looks at you. You are his joy. He says, I'm proud of you. And the other thing to notice about this is, what all has Moxie accomplished in her life? At this point, we've had some major blowouts that are always at the most inconvenient times, right? Stains. Uh, no one ever warned me. I knew about blowouts. I didn't know they stained the clothes. Stains the clothes. Have to get new clothes. Can't even donate them or take them to stage two because they're stained. She uh, laughs extremely loud, like squeals to the point where she's been hoarse for a week because she just screams in laughter all the time. She said die instead of buy for a really long time. What has she accomplished in this life? Nothing, okay, nothing. She's barely even walking, let's be real. Okay, she hasn't accomplished much. But from the second she was born, I was proud of her. That doesn't make any sense. Because we think of being proud of someone as something they've done, right? But I was still proud of her because she was mine and I loved her. When you belong and you are loved, he's proud of you. Jesus, when he got baptized, he hadn't performed a single miracle. He hadn't healed anyone. His ministry had not begun yet. Before, his ministry, before he had performed one miracle, done anything, all he was doing at the time, he set up a carpentry shop and he went into the wilderness for 40 days to not eat or drink, literally not doing something, and he took care of his mom. Before that point, that's all he had really done, just normal old middle-class Jewish life back in the day. And God busts through the sky, sends down the Holy Spirit, and says, I'm proud of you. You're mine. I love you so much. You're my joy. I'm so pleased with you. 
So if you think that God's love for you or his pride in you or his joy because of you is based on what you do or do not do, your view of God is wrong. And I know that's a little bit of a harsh statement, but we need to make sure that God isn't who we think he is, who the world has twisted us into believing he is, where our parents' failings have made us think he is, or what we want him to be. I knew someone, I met someone who um, was Christian and she converted to Islam. I was like, why? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's more restrictive for women, first of all. Also, lots of like, martyred suicides and all of these. It just didn't make any sense to me. And she said, I understood with Allah that you had to do X, Y, and Z. It was a formula. It was a checklist. And even then I said, well, how do you know then that you're going to get into heaven? She's like, you don't know. You just hope you did more good things to outweigh the bad things. God said he gives you a free gift of grace without you doing anything. God says he loved you while you were still a sinner. With our God, we don't have to do anything to get it besides say, yeah, I'll let you forgive me. Sounds good. It is hard. It's hard for me to not feel like I have to perform in order to earn a closer relationship with him. But that's not what he's about. He already loves you. He already claims you. He already is proud of you. Before he ever did anything, God said this to Jesus. He's proud of us so that we can make a difference, not because we've already made a difference. And when we really know God, find our freedom in his identity, and understand the joy of walking in the calling and the purpose he's given us, we make a difference in this world because he already loves us. And we realize he loved us. Psalm 18, 19 says, he led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because I earned it. He rescued me because I fought hard enough. He rescued me because I tried, because I built up my business, because I raised my kids perfectly. Doesn't say any of that. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Has nothing to do with us. Has everything to do with him. And why it's so hard to step into that freedom that is freely given to us is the enemy trying to tell us you have to do something about it. Do you believe that he's proud of you, whether you do anything or not? Do you really? Use a scale of 1 to 10 again if you want. I know I'm not at 10 yet. You are his joy. John three sixteen. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That came later in the conversation with Nicodemus about being born again, about being born of the spirit, born of God. He loved the world so much he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. If you would bow your head and close your eyes. If you would bow your head and close your eyes today, we're going to just talk to the Father. And it's still hard for me 
to talk to the Father instead of the Spirit or Jesus. I talk to either one of them easier. It's hard sometimes to relate to him as the Father. But it's not hard for him to relate to you as his child. He wants that for you, that relationship with you more than anything. So if you want to become his child today, I'm going to give you that opportunity on the count of three. Raise your hand. On the count of three, if you want to become his child today, just so that I can pray with you. We won't call you out or anything like that. We just want to pray with you today. That's you. I want to be his child. One, two, three. Raise your hand. Thank you, thank you. You guys can put your hands down. God the Father. Father, we love you. We know that you have accepted us, that you have called us to be your children. That it's nothing about us or what we do or don't do, but it's all about receiving the fact that you want us to belong to you. You want to claim us as your own. You want to lead us in a relationship with you. A loving parent-child relationship. It has nothing to do with how our parents have messed up, with how people have hurt us. It just has everything to do with who you are and your grace on our lives. If you raised your hand today, we're going to sing Run to the Father one more time. If you raised your hand, just where you sit or stand if you want to, literally, not literally, but in your spirit, run to the Father today. That's all you have to do. And if this is the first time you've made this decision or the first time in a while, there's a connection card where you can let us know that so we can help you. But for now, let's all just run to the Father, okay? Let's worship together in whatever posture you want.
Again and again and again. 